Jesus' name. Well, good morning. Can I add my welcome to Sekai's and say how much it's a pleasure to be part of the leadership team of a church where we have so many emerging leaders who can share in leading and speaking at our services. It's, it's a great thing and it builds up the body of, of Christ in this place. I wonder if, um, if you've ever used the expression um, of a family member or of a friend that they were brought up to know the difference between right and wrong. Um, I wonder if you've used that expression. You'll certainly have heard it um, being used. Well, I recently took part in um, a street evangelism project um, down near St. Albans. This was part of a course that I'm doing, um, which is going to extend for another year. And it's a course on leadership, but they set you projects in between um, the residentials. And um, so it happens I'm going on a residential the week after next. Um, but one of these projects was to go out onto the streets of a town or city and to ask people about Christianity, life, and Jesus. Um, this pushed me way beyond my usual comfort zones. Um, and, but it was a really fascinating experience in so many ways. So we were working in pairs. Um, groups of us went out into this. Um, it's called With Hampstead, down by St. Albans. Um, many of you may know it. And we asked questions relating to Christianity, life, and Jesus. And, and when we asked people what their perception of Christianity was, everyone had an answer. The answers were different, um, except that one kept coming up time and time again. And, and the answer that people were given repeatedly was this, that Christianity is about knowing the difference between right and wrong. Therefore, to be a Christian is to live a good life. And you know, there are so many Christians who, who see their faith in terms of the, the difference between what is right and what is wrong, what is God's right and God's wrong in life. And in this understanding of faith, um, the Bible becomes a rule book, which we read to learn God's rules, and then we try and obey them in our lives. The problem with, with this approach is that it starts a vicious cycle occurring where we try to live up to the overwhelming number of rules and regulations we perceive that Scripture has for our lives and that God wants us to follow, and inevitably we fail. And even though we know that God is forgiving and quick to forgive us, um, we still feel that failure and there's a guilt that comes from that failure. There's often a despair that comes from that failure too. And what happens is a cycle perpetuates itself where every time we, we try to live to God's standards and we fail, we, we ask for forgiveness, we feel guilty, um, and then we resolve to try harder next time. And having tried harder the next time, we still fail because... To live on the basis of rules alone is nigh on impossible. And therefore, we keep getting into this cycle of guilt, despair, trying harder until we realize or until we get to the point where we burn out and we say, actually, do you know what? I just can't do this anymore. Is there possibly 
an alternative to this cycle and this understanding of faith. And I think there is. And I think Jesus presents us with a radical alternative to letting our faith be based on rules and regulations. He invites us to encounter a faith centered on love. And I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying this series that we're going through um, to discover the riches of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And and as we go through this series of reflections, which will take us up to the start of Advent, what excites me is what God will do through these reflections as we think about some pretty major themes um, and how they relate to our lives. Think about it. We started with Christ calling us to be his, of discovering our purpose in Christ. Then we moved on in week two, and Beth shared about being saved by grace, and that there is no one beyond God's power and call. And last week, Linda talked about Christ being a cornerstone of our lives that holds all things together. Well, this week, we're going to be exploring what it is to grasp the love of Christ. But before I start, can I encourage you to approach these scriptures not just as a time to learn more from the Bible, but as, as a time to expect that God will speak to us and share with us things for our own lives. So that as we leave this place and try and be Christians in the world, we might be empowered by the Spirit. You know, we're all here today because we're seeking um, to live a Christian life. And in the first century Jewish world um, that Jesus inhabited, young men would study hard to train under a rabbi. They would try and learn from a rabbi. But to get to that stage where you were, you were taken on, if you like, by a rabbi, you had to work really hard at knowing your Jewish scriptures and, and studying hard. And only the sort of the elite would get to train under, under a rabbi. And a disciple of a rabbi would not only learn from his rabbi, but would try and emulate that rabbi's character, um, their behavior, their knowledge. It was more than just being a student. The word that was used in Jesus' time and then used by Jesus is disciple. Someone who would follow their rabbi everywhere and learn from them. And and the disciple's place of learning was at the feet of his rabbi, quite literally. So Paul opens our passage from Ephesians this morning with the words, For this reason. For what reason? Well, if if you have your Bibles open to, um, to the page which is on the screen, you might want to briefly cast your eyes back to chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. And you'll find out um, what Paul is referring to. Paul is referring back to the love of Christ that allowed him, Paul, to be a follower of Jesus and to the church of God, through which God himself is trying to reach the nations and people of influence with the good news of the gospel. And so if you go to that first verse of this morning's passage, to verse 14, you'll read, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father. Bowing, kneeling, their places of um, humility, their places of dependency on God, and their places of learning. 
Remember when Jesus, in Luke's Gospel, came to the home of Mary and Martha. It's a famous passage of Scripture. Martha busied herself uh, with all the work and all the work of hospitality around the home. And what she was doing was good, but it caused tension because Martha was sitting at Jesus' feet learning from him. And when Martha eventually becomes so frustrated that she challenges Jesus on why he's allowing Mary just to be at his feet, learning from him, Jesus says, you know, Mary has chosen the better things. there's, There's a role to doing good, but the primary calling that we have is to be followers of Jesus. And Paul, whose life had been so richly transformed by God's work in his life, kneels before the Father, knowing that God is the source of life and love. And so in verse 16 we read, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Spirit. There are so many things we do But this is the focus of Paul's prayer. That at the centre of who we are as Christian people, in our our core DNA, in what makes us who we are, that we would be strengthened and empowered by God's Spirit at work within us. The Holy Spirit, you see, imparts to Christians the personal power and presence of God from God's riches God will grant us his spirit and strengthen and empower us. Paul prays that we be so strengthened by the spirit's work in our lives. And Paul's concern in this passage is the one that he makes explicit, that we are rooted and grounded in love. And it's such an important biblical truth that that when we surrender our hearts and minds to God, when we come to Christ, when we try and live for Christ, Christ comes and dwells in our hearts and minds. This is the gift of faith. And it's an invitation uh, uh, where, where the result is certain. Just as when we approach God and seek his forgiveness, so we know that we will be forgiven. And just as when we ask Christ to come into our lives, so we know that he will come into our lives. So that is the gift of faith, and it's a powerful gift. However, the work of the Spirit is to breathe God's power and presence into that faith, to empower us to walk with God and live out his purposes. And so one of the most powerful prayers that we can pray as Christians is, is come Holy Spirit. (coughs) Because in praying this prayer, we invite God's personal intervention, his power and his presence, the riches, as Paul says, of God, the fullness of God, into our lives. And we invite God to work through the situations we're facing, the lives of the people we encounter So perhaps one thing to take away this morning is this simple prayer, daily, come Holy Spirit. When you find yourselves in difficult places or with people who frustrate or challenge you, come Holy Spirit.
so that in our outworking um, of our behaviours, we may respond as Christ would have us respond, not from our own places of frustration or challenge, but from being rooted and grounded in the love of God. So the more and more we invite God through his spirit into our lives, the more and more we will not only know God's love, but become people who operate from that place of love. Double back to verse 16 in chapter 3. Out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you through his spirit in your inner being. Sometimes do you feel you're running on empty, feeling that your emotional resources have been plundered? The American preacher and author Tom Tenney wrote of these times that our emptiness cries out to God's fullness. It's a quote which has stayed with me for many years. Let me say it again. Our emptiness cries out to God's fullness. And Paul, elsewhere in his letters, reminds us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we don't know how we should act, when we don't know what we should pray for, the Spirit itself prays for us in groans too deep for words. Do you see that in our relationship for God is built in this fail-safe mechanism so that when we're in a place of weakness and we don't have the words to articulate what we need or want or even desire, God prays the words for us. And so in weakness and in strength, we get to be rooted in that kind of love that Paul tells us surpasses knowledge. This is the type of calling into covenant life that the people of the Old Testament would have been very familiar with. And yes, they, they messed up along the journey, but their identity was so defined by their covenantal life with God through being God's people and therefore knowing God's blessing that we see those great laments of the Psalms that come when, when God's people perceive that God has departed from them, that his, his presence is, is no longer with them. And that's when we see those, those great Psalms of lament asking where God is. Why is he not bringing justice for his people? Such was their identity as God's people, a people who lived out that covenant life. And this being rooted and grounded in love is not only for those times when we're in a good place, but as I say, for the darker times as well. Because this rootedness, this, this being grounded in love, is what gives us the strength to be for God when things aren't going so well. And Jesus, of course, gives us the ultimate example of what it is to know and to be love in a dark place. The cross, of course, was a bleak place, a torturous and highly public place of execution. But in all the bleakness of Jesus' crucifixion, there was still love to be found. In fact, whilst at the time, on the surface, to those observing what was happening to Jesus on the cross, it was about failure and about humiliation and defeat. It was an end point. It was still a, a death motivated by love. And with Jesus embodying love, and with that love, reaching out to others. 
And so the criminals on the cross who we read about in Matthew 27, uh, verse 44, where it tells us that Jesus was taunted by those who were on the cross um, beside him. And yet if we were to go to other passion narratives in, in the other Gospels, we would find that Jesus' grace and love, even in the bleakness of the cross, reaches out to those who were taunting him and unlocks the power of love and offers paradise to those criminals. Love unlocks situations. And, and when I was training to, to, to be a minister, um, I did a placement at, um, at a project called the Amelia Trust Farm. Um, it is a farm, um, and it's run as um, what's called in educational circles a pupil referral unit, and it's um, in Barry, South Wales. And they do some extraordinary work with young people who have been disenfranchised from the mainstream education. Um, and it's amazing to see young people um, who, who can't engage in a classroom suddenly show great compassion towards animals um, on this farm and, and find a place where, where they feel that they can be someone other than the identity that they've created and that they have in school. Some very powerful stories have come out of Amelia Trust over, over the years. One predates my time with them. The warden of Amelia Trust, who was a Methodist minister called John, came to, came to speak to us uh, in the college chapel where I was studying. And he told us of one lad who was particularly challenging. Um, and, you know, at the Amelia Trust, they would really, re- regularly get kids up on top of roofs, um, kids, kids fighting, um, attacking members of staff, and it, it, was, it was the norm. It was a normal experience. But one day there was a particularly um, challenging young person who produced a knife, um, and he was threatening John, who was the, who was the warden of this, of this farm, this project. And in that wisdom that only comes through what Paul is talking to us about this morning, through being rooted and grounded in love, instead of uh, engaging with conflict with conflict, John unlocked the situation and with great faith, I can only assume, walked towards this young lad and embraced him. He gave him a hug. And the young lad dropped the knife and wept in John's arms. You see, there is something so countercultural about so many aspects of our faith, but this has to be one of them. That Jesus gives us the gift of love as a tool to use to unlock situations which in a worldly understanding can't be unlocked because we're so programmed into thinking that we must meet conflict with conflict, violence with violence. We, We must meet antagonism with antagonism. And Jesus says that we should be rooted and grounded in love because out of that place of love comes the transforming power of the Spirit to do things in situations that can't be done without God. And so a situation on a farm which might have ended horrifically and tragically and in in a way that we would have probably all read about um, in papers ended with a young lad being able to express his deep sadness and hurt, and all because one of God's people was rooted in love. 
This is the reality of the love of God, that Jesus has done such a work on the cross that love has been made freely available to all people. And the invitation, as I keep repeating, is to be rooted and grounded in that love. It's been one of the threads to date throughout this series, hasn't it? That love unlocks lives and sets people free. Paul converted from a life of persecuting Christians, blinded by the love of God on the road to Damascus. We're reading daily of the threat of, um, of extreme militancy and, and what's happening to Christian communities um, in northern Iraq and, and in other places. And sadly, we read um, about the, the need now for military intervention. And I hope that's in your prayers and driving your prayers. Beth told us the story about John Newton, a slave trader, self-confessed wretch, found love and freedom in Christ. On the cross and in people's lives, love has come and love ultimately wins. Grasp that love on bended knee as Paul did. Call out to God that through his spirit, you may be rooted and grounded in that love more and more. A few weeks ago, I shared that one of the threats, I said this at the 11 o'clock service, and, and I was talking about one of the threats to moving on and maturing in our faith, and this is part of Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, is that we mature, or that the Ephesian church should mature in its faith, having come to Christ, and with all the excitement of discovering the riches of Christ and the love of Christ, that they should enter a phase of maturity as a Christian church. And there are lessons for us too in that. But, but, part, of, but part of the issue is so often we fail to realise the fullness of life that God gives. And so we ask for forgiveness Sunday by Sunday, but we get into this rut where we never fully enter the freedom that that forgiveness brings. God's forgiveness is assured but, but we, we stay in that place, in that part of the cycle where we do things, we fail, we ask for forgiveness, and then we go back to the start, whereas God is calling us to move beyond the forgiveness into the freedom of life that he came and died and rose again to offer us. And in the same way, how many influences are there that tell us that we are only lovable if we have this sort of character or if we have this certain body type or if we have this certain job or if we are a certain way, that we're only lovable if. Um, The leader of um, New Wine in Scotland um, is a guy called Kenny Borthwick who who leads a church um, in a place called Wester Hales in a deprived part of Edinburgh. And Kenny used to come and speak at conferences which I was involved in, in running. And Kenny had one of these strap lines. He said this, and you might want to take this away. And if you remember nothing else today, then take this away with you, please. Kenny would say this repeatedly. You are loved, and you are lovely. You are loved, and you are lovely. And he wasn't just engaging in any kind of fortune cookie wisdom. He was realizing the power of what Paul is talking about in this morning's reading, to be rooted and grounded in love. You are loved and you are lovely. 
What an awesome message for the world. Let's pause just for a moment to pray. Come Holy Spirit. Help us to be rooted in the love that you reveal. Help us to be grounded in the knowledge that we are loved as we are. That in love Christ came to set us free from all the things and all the influences which tell us we're not. Thank you that in love and in revealing love, you give us the ability to change situations through the power of your spirit in ways which the world can't. And Father, as we look at our news screens and we see stories of airstrikes and we see stories of conflict and militancy, help love to drive us to prayer that we might reveal our love for Christians and people around the world through the prayers that we bring. Amen.